eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Ops and Audibles podcast post-game edition. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this show Saturday night. Uh, got some college football on the, on the TV while we're wrapping up the Oregon game. Uh, the Ducks destroyed BYU, obliterated BYU, blew out BYU, had a statement game, as Eric put it on his uh, headline, 41-20. to 20. And this game, midway through the third quarter, was 38-7 to 7 when Oregon, I think, maybe a little early, put left their foot off the gas and put some backups in, Ty Thompson in at quarterback, which resulted in some poor offensive plays and allowed BYU to – make the score look a little bit better than it really was. But overall, guys, this was a game where Jared picked Oregon to lose. Eric and I said Oregon would win by the skin of their teeth, and it wouldn't really have been a shock to either of us, I think, if Oregon lost that game. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, in a game in which both teams dealt with some injuries – Oregon by far was the better football team. It wasn't, at least in my eyes, it wasn't even close. And I, I heard a lot of this on social media. I think this shows how good Georgia is, and maybe that Oregon is also a pretty good team. I think we're feeling a little better about Oregon right now than we did a couple weeks ago, huh, guys? Like, yeah, like just a little. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, leaving Atlanta, I think we were all kind of like, I don't know. This is, I mean, it's not great. Georgia is really good, and we kind of acknowledge that, but it, it was kind of hard to really know what the future was going to hold. We both, I think all of us are pretty optimistic. We said, hey, give it six games, get to the bye week, let's make some conclusions then. I think we're kind of in the same spot here where BYU going through some injuries. I think Oregon clearly, the strengths of some of Oregon's strengths work towards BYU's, some of the weaknesses clearly in this game, from my perspective at least. And Oregon kind of did whatever they wanted to do offensively. We can get into some of that later. But I, I certainly feel like this is an Oregon team that has a lot in front of it. And I'll be curious to see where the voters put this team. Um, that loss at Georgia is hard to overcome. But two consecutive weeks here, the offense has been awesome. I mean, Matt, I know you, you, you brought up the stat and press conference to Dan Lanning, but 
the last 13 drives by the first team offense last two games here it's been touchdowns or field goals and almost all touchdowns I mean, that's just you can't really yeah. ask for much more offensively it's been fantastic and i think bo nicks there's a lot of credit. We were pretty trying to be pretty cautious last game of hey, he has a great stat line, but it's Eastern Washington. Let's not draw too much from it. I thought this was one of the better quarterback games Oregon's had since Justin Herbert's gone. Um, I'm not gonna try to get too far ahead of myself. I will also say like it's probably not setting the bar super high to compare any quarterback to Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown, especially Tyler Shuck as a first year starter. Anthony Brown kind of maybe handcuffed by some things, but. Nick's looked great today. He really did. The decision making was fantastic. I thought the offense was tailored towards his strengths mm-hmm. um, in terms of, hey, we're not going to force him to do things that he's incapable of doing. And I think he was patient. He made the right calls. He was tremendous with his legs. I loved the way he got after it in the fourth quarter. I don't know if you want it or kind of need to see your quarterback make a play like that, but third and long he dry, you know he rolls out could have slid and said he dives for it gets well pretty good bounces right back up is pointing for the first down um i i just think i was really impressed by bo Nix today and i think the fan base is warming up to bo Nix. there's a lot of other things to like on offense that we'll talk about as we go but i think my big takeaway offensively is maybe pump the brakes on uh hey bo Nix stinks bo Nix is bad he showed some really impressive things today. And I know the track record with him is the highs, the lows, the good Bo Nicks, the bad Bo Nicks. Matt, that was your prediction coming in, Matt, yeah. was we'd see both good and bad. We only saw a good Bo Nicks basically today. <laughs> I can't no. I can't think off the top of my head of like a really a poor play he made all game. No. There was. Uh, yeah, no, I really don't think throws. there was. Right, and that might actually be, you know, how Oregon does this and how they limit his opportunities to potentially make a mistake and limiting him to under 20 throws a game. But regardless if that is what they do or is that that's not what they're doing, uh, Knicks was phenomenal. The rushing attack was phenomenal, headlined by Marquise or Bucky Irving, as he'd like to be called from now on. Mm-hmm. Bucky Irving and Noah Winnington. Um, I think we'll get into all the injury stuff later. Um, I will I'll go, I'll come out first and say, yeah, I did pick BYU to win. So, or, you know, just give me all the stuff in the comment sections. I'm here. I'm ready for it. Mention me on Twitter. I'm here. In the comment section, I'm, uh, let's do it. Um, that was a hell of a performance by Oregon. I think it's as simple as that. I think that went as, about as as well as it possibly could have for the Ducks. Um, the fact that they were able to let their foot off the gas in the in the middle of the third quarter and put Ty mm-hmm. Thompson in up thirty eight to seven uh, that's impressive as heck. And all, all across the board, I know that there were some defensive lapses that you know you probably want to see shored up. Uh, you know, particularly from the from. Tricrest Bridges on the corner, some of their open field tackling every once in a while. Their defensive line could use a little bit more pressure. Look, they got stops. They stopped BYU multiple times on fourth down. They stopped them multiple times on third down. They limited to seven points in the first half and seven points basically uh, up until Ty Thompson came into the game. Uh, it was a shellacking. And I understand that BYU, and I'm sure we'll have a couple fans listen to this post game podcast. I understand that they were without their top two wide receivers. Um, and two of their best defensive linemen. I don't think that would have mattered. And Eric and I talked about this on the way home um, or on the walk down from Autzen Stadium. It wouldn't have mattered. Uh, Oregon just dominated the line of scrimmage. Uh, that the, the final drive for Oregon at the end of the half where they went jumbo package and they just said, you look, you know we're running. We know we're running. As Dan Lanning said in his post-game press conference, everybody in the stadium knows we're running. You can't stop us. And I think that was just the epitome of that game. Oregon knew what they were trying to do. They executed it well. 
um, and their identity began to show right there. And I, I, frankly, I'm very impressed with how the Ducks performed today. I did not expect it. I don't know if any of us really expected that type of outcome, but I thought it would be a, a great barometer of how good this team is because, like I said pregame, why I picked BYU, they played Georgia. They got their you know, socks knocked off. They knocked the socks off of Eastern Washington. It's a huge gap in talent for both sides. Just what does it look like? Well, now we have a really good idea of what Oregon could look like and even where they can continue to improve and get better. Bo was asked if this is his best game he's ever had. And, I mean, just pursing through his career game log on Sports Reference, like he's certainly had more games where he's thrown for more yards. He's had more games where he's had a higher completion percentage. And remind you, like, Included 72% of his throws today. Um, he was really good. He had three rushing touchdowns. He, he he didn't run for a lot of yards. I think what was his, his rushing total? 33. Um, 30, yeah, 35. 30, 35. 35 total yards. So like 3.9. That's not a lot, but just the opponent that he played, the impacts of the plays that he made, the way he guided the offense – I think you could argue, you know, this might have been his his best game he's ever had uh, at the collegiate level from a, a quarterbacking per perspective. And it comes on the heels of statistically the highest percentage game he's ever had against Eastern Washington, completing 84% of his passes, throwing five total touchdowns, which is the most he's ever thrown in a football game by two. By two. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the last couple of games – he has looked really, really good. And I think Jared brought it up. This is how Oregon's going to – this is how Oregon's going to play and, and look good. This is – you know, they don't take a lot of shots deep. And when they do, it's it's maybe half the field or like today's throw to Troy Franklin. I think that was what you wanted to see week one against Georgia. Instead of throwing it to Seven McGee, throw it to a six-foot-three guy and ask him in a one-on-one -on -one situation to make a play. And Franklin did it. And, you know, that's no fault to, to Nick's week one against Georgia. He doesn't choose where guys fit in the playbook. But he was really good. And if this is what you're going to get week in and week out the last two weeks, obviously there's going to be a dip here. But if this is what you're getting at quarterback, it's really – it's it's good production. It's a lot better than what we've seen. And that goes right into my next little item that I had on my personal notebook here is – the offense is night and day from what we've seen the last few seasons. And I wrote down and in, in during the game, I think at like halftime in my notebook saying, I wish we could have seen 2019 Oregon with Justin Herbert run this offense and see what they look like. Because I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like this team is uber talented and they've got these NFL dudes all over the place. But it just feels more explosive. It feels more creative. It, it Honestly, it feels a lot like what Mario Cristobal wanted his offense to be. Power run game. You know we're going to run it. We're going three tight ends. We're going to get a first down. But then the next play, we're going to go tempo. And then we're going to air it out and, and, and cut you loose here. I mean, this is kind of what I, I felt like Cristobal was selling us. And we're seeing it with Dillingham's. I think that's a really good point, Matt, of like – Cristobal was always about power football, and there's nothing more power than putting in a sixth offensive lineman, Josh Connerly, three tight ends. You have a fullback. <laughs> I, I, I actually turned at halftime and asked uh, 
Rob Mosley, who's been on this beat longer than any of us, he covers it from Go Ducks. But when was the last time Oregon ran four consecutive plays under center? And he was like, maybe 2004, 2006, something like that. He's like, you know, pre-Chip Kelly. Um, you have to go way back to see an Oregon offense that used a personnel group like this. And, and you're right, Matt. This is exactly kind of what Mario was sort of pushing was was going to kind of be the identity. And Oregon went out there. I thought that last drive of the first half, that was a really fun and impressive drive. As far you yeah. know, and I, I, I know most fans aren't going to get too excited about you know lining up with six offensive linemen, have a full back in the field. You're going I form. It feels like I don't know 1990 something in the NFL or even in college, probably more so. And you're just going to run it right down their throat. This is Big Ten football, is kind of what it felt like. But it was really effective. And then at the end of the drive, they switched it up, and suddenly they've got five wide, and Terrence Ferguson's in the end zone for a touchdown. I mean. The way that they kind of switched that up, they took five and a half minutes off the board. It came on the heels of, shoot, I mean, you kind of think about the way this game went. BYU came down, had a really impressive drive that kind of fell apart at the end there. A couple incompletions. Oregon was really good in coverage, and they settled for a field goal attempt. If that field goal goes through, um, you know, I'm not going to say this game goes their way by any means, but, I mean, we're talking about it being 17-10 to with about five minutes to go. And yep. there's the momentum is kind of going BYU's way. Can they get a stop? If they get a stop, you go into half. They're only down seven points. Instead, five and a half minutes, that drive, I thought, was just one of the more impressive offensive drives we've seen from Oregon against a, a caliber opponent like this in a while. And for them to go the length of field, go for it on twice on fourth down, once in their own 30-yard line. I mean, mm -hmm. Jordan James out there running really hard. I mean, we can get into some of the personnel stuff later. I thought that was just a really telling drive. Totally flips the momentum. Oregon goes into half up 24-7 instead. They score their first two drives, and as Matt alluded to earlier, I probably think maybe you wanted Bo to have one more series to guide the offense. If you get up to 41 or 45-7, to seven, then you turn it over to Ty. You know, honestly, we're probably nitpicking in terms of if Ty had come down and performed really well and you don't have just yeah, the, it, the, the fluky screen pass that goes backwards and loses 20 yards, you're probably just talking completely differently, but – at the same time, I, I agreed with Matt in the moment of like, gosh, like, keep the foot on. This is a good team. You, you're, I know you're up 31 points, but, you know, it, it's, eight, what, six minutes, seven minutes to go in the third quarter? It just felt a little premature. But, you know, Landing said he wanted to show confidence in his quarterback, and he felt like he did that by putting Ty out there. Um, uh, the next thing I did want to talk about is just the running backs. Really surprised by the way this kind of played out. We've been talking about four running backs the last couple of games, five being utilized, but four primarily, we should know, Byron Cardwell, not available in this game. We don't have more specifics from that, but Dan said he was injured. He said he wanted to go, but it was kind of a tough call. And, and, you know, Byron wanted to be out there, but they, they were, the medical staff basically wouldn't clear him, which you feel for Byron. But, man, did Bucky Irving make the most of it and did Noah Whittington. And Jordan James, to me, really was the standout here because he didn't play against Eastern because of an ankle injury. And they really used him as their short yardage back. Um, like yeah. he, he picked up two fourth down conversions on that final drive of the half. Um, they went right to him. They said, you're the true freshman. We're going to use you. You're big. You're physical. And he showed it. And, and one of the plays, you know, the play at the 30-yard line, you go back and watch that one, I think he had to kind of body through a guy or else that might have been stood up and stopped for what would have been pretty devastating. Talk about flipping the momentum there. Imagine if. If, if you give the ball to BYU at your own 30 with about five minutes to go, they go down and they score. Suddenly it's a three-point game going into half, and mm -hmm. it feels totally different. That was a huge play um, to pick that one up. I thought it was – you know, Bucky was awesome. 
we've had a lot of people on the message board sort of questioning why is he getting the starts? Why is he getting the most run? I hope it proved you why today. 14 carries, 97 yards. He had a 39-yard run or 40-yard run, whatever it was, on that first Oregon drive, which was just electric. You know, he's so explosive. I don't know how many tackles he broke in this game. It felt like a ton. It felt like a lot. I thought he was great, and I thought Whittington ran really hard. I I will say, surprise, Sean Dollars barely played. I I thought that was sort of a little bit surprising to me. He had one rush for three yards. That was his only touch after, to me, probably being – I don't want to say the best running back through two games, but he was leading the team in rushing, and he was also, mm-hmm. I think, leading the team in receiving yards. So, uh, as for a running back, so this is a guy who'd been really productive. To see him kind of downgraded to, to fourth, the fourth back on the field, and and I think a lot of it is circumstantial. Of hey, as Matt said, I think Sean Dollars is your third down running back in pass situations. I think a lot of the third downs today were short yardage, and so you brought in the heavy package. You leaned on Jordan James. Mm-hmm. Um, you stuck with the hot hand of, of, of Irving, who was really just dynamic every time he had the football. Had about well, Irving, by the way, had probably like the best 11-yard run I've ever seen, where he gets stopped at the line <laughs> of scrimmage, wiggles out of three-arm tackles, cuts back on a guy, and ends up plowing through a couple of players. Like I thought, I thought Irving was awesome today. I think that was a big takeaway for me was this running back core. You saw the rotation sort of slim down, really only used three guys, and the guys they used were all really effective. You know, I, you can kind of question why dollars didn't play and card will not play and kind of impacts some of the rotation obviously but i came away being like man if irving is going to be your primary running back the rest of the year sign me up i think there's a lot of guys who can help throughout and i wouldn't be surprised if, if he's not always the focal back but against byu today man that guy did everything you needed from him a little bit more it was yeah it was all impressive i think you guys have touched on it so i'll kind of just mop up whatever's left um, to Matt's point about the, the Mario Cristobal, yeah, that's exactly what it looked like on paper in Mario's mind. It just never actually came out onto the field. Um, power football with alternatives, using tight ends in the red zone. Uh, Terrence Ferguson with another two-touchdown game, two touch, or two receptions, two touchdowns. Uh, was this 24 yards? It's four touchdowns in the last two games on five catches, I believe so. I think Eric told me that after the game. Um, and that the, the jumbo package, I mean, well – most of the package all game, this kind of goes into both of your guys' points, where Oregon really flipped around and what they were playing. They did a lot of 12 personnel, so two tight ends on the field, usually uh, Cam McCormick and Terrence Ferguson. until uh, they brought that three tight end package. Maliki Matavau had his run. Patrick Herbert had the first catch of his career tonight. Um, just a altogether very impressive game offensively. Um, I like that they were able to go five wide at points and even use a running back out there in the slot or something like that. And then bringing in and go, you know, a quarterback sneak. And when multiple, mm-hmm. multiple quarterback sneaks, multiple times under center, they brought back the pistol, which I thought it was, was also strange. Um, but it all worked. I mean, this is just a grounded pound football game. This was, uh, like Dan Lenning said afterwards in his press mm-hmm. conference, just him, uh, Oregon bringing out what their identity is and and being able to ground a pound, but also have Knicks throw a 50-yard almost touchdown to Troy Franklin. Um, again, just really impressive overall with the offense. Uh, uh, with the, the fact that this is Kenny Dillingham's first year actually calling plays, uh, also extremely impressive. It's the more he the more he calls plays, the more he's going to learn. Again, an extremely young staff. I think that was all a question mark heading into the season of how they perform in a coaching aspect, not just how the team would perform. Uh, they seem to be flying or passing with flying colors right now, especially on offense. I think Dillingham's creativity is 
is very impressive. And, and the fact that Oregon is able to put up 41 points and probably could have put up more if they kept Nixon the entire game on a BYU team that just took down Baylor and their ex- explosive and, and um, very creative offense as well. Uh, again, just another impressive performance. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Defensively, 61 total yards rushing for BYU. Um, Jalen Hall did throw 305 yards passing. He was 29 of 41. Um, I don't know the exact numbers statistically, but he definitely got over the 300-yard mark late in the game when BYU was very clearly trying to do some window dressing, um, trying to throw the ball, score a touchdown, save clock, call timeouts with like 12 seconds to go in the game, 30 seconds to go in the game. Uh, Kalani Sitaki doing anything he possibly could, and I guess I get it, but yeah, to, to do anything he could to, to make the score look less than, uh, than it did. And so some of those yards came at that point in the time of, of the game from for Jalen Hall. So 305 yards there. Um, quarterback pressures, we brought it up during the game. It's going to get brought up again post-game. It's going to get talked about next week. Um, Oregon didn't, I don't feel like, consistently get pressure. They certainly did at times uh, on Hall. But – there were opportunities where they dropped back to pass and Hall just seemed to hold on to the ball. It felt like four or five seconds and, you know, there wasn't a guy just bearing down on him to get him. Is it nitpicking here? Maybe a little bit, but that's just probably something you want to look at. That being said, when there were opportunities to get off the football field, in particular on some really interesting fourth down calls, Jared and I looked at each other one time and we're just like, okay, why would you do that? Why are you going for the first, fourth down? The first first down. It was fourth and Yeah. Seven. Like, why are you doing that? And credit to Oregon's defense, they got off the field, and they made some of those big fourth down tackles. I think to the first part, um, the rush defense. I, I went on a couple of radio spots. I think we talked about here about how even against Georgia, Georgia really didn't run at the teeth of this Oregon defense. And we should know, Justin Flo didn't play in this game. I think that was a surprise. We thought on Tuesday, he missed Tuesday's practice. Wednesday, he was back. He dressed for the game, by the way, and he went through warm-ups. And we kind of thought, okay, it looks like he's going to play. The TV broadcast said he wasn't available. He didn't play at all. Um, to be able to limit an opposing rush offense to 61 yards on 24 carries, I think, was the final. Um, yep. 
is really, really impressive. And I, I also say that because guess what? Noah Sewell, pretty quiet again. Two tackles. Um, yeah. They ran a lot of – not a lot because they only had 24 rush plays, but they, they run to the middle of the field, and it wasn't him necessarily making plays. I, I was really impressed by the replacements in the inside spots. Jeffrey Bossa, I thought, played pretty well. Jeff, Jackson LaDuke and Keith Brown both had four tackles and were both around the yeah. football a lot. I thought they both played really, really well. But player of the game for me defensively was Brennan Dorless. Um, seven tackles, one and a half tackles for loss. Really close to getting my two tackles for loss prediction. Really close, Brandon. Just one more. Um, he had a sack, but he also blew up um, one of – did they go for, th- for a fort on four three times? Is that right? Three times, yeah. He okay. got one of them, and, and uh, DJ Johnson stopped uh, DJ Jaron Johnson. Hall on, on, a, on a scramble. Not a tackle for loss, but yeah. On D- DJ got him on a scramble, but Brandon had one where he just blew up. I think it yep. was Christopher Brooks for a, a, a loss on a fourth and one or fourth and two short yardage. I thought Dorless was a difference maker. You needed him to be one. He's been, like I said kind of earlier um, in our prediction show on, on Friday, you, you, you kind of were waiting for it just because he's been such a big part of kind of the fall camp hype machine was was really backed up. Or, you know, He was kind of leading the charge there of, of kind of one of the guys that you expected to be really a big contributor, and he hadn't done a whole lot. And I thought he was fantastic. I thought DJ Johnson was really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. That front seven in, 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 in general played well. Mace Funa had some rough moments early on out in coverage, out in space. He also had a couple of plays that were really big where he he, he made, you know, I, I don't think it was his best game, but wanted to kind of applaud the fact that there were a couple of times out in space. He's, he's being asked to play a lot in coverage where he actually was, he was up for the challenge. Um, so I, I thought defensively the, against the run, they were great. I agree with Matt. You'd probably like to see a little bit more, uh, pressure off of uh, you know on Jalen Hall or Jaron Hall, he throws it 41 times. He's sacked once. He's uh, hurried one other time. A lot of it was pretty clean pockets. A lot of it was him throwing it on the run and making good plays. I think he's a really good quarterback and probably one of the better guys Oregon will face this year. Um, it, it, you know, Matt mentioned his nitpick was lack of a pass rush. I think the thing that concerns me right now is who you, who's your number two corner. I think. Yeah. I think that's a pretty big concern. Christian Gonzalez, by the way, was awesome in this game. Like, yeah, really they, good. They started. I, it looked like to me, and again, I we'll have to watch it again. It looked like to me they started playing, um, you know, like a boundary and a field corner, and basically having, you know, Gonzalez playing one side of the field and Bridges on the other, and that didn't work out great because Bridges got beat pretty good, and it seemed like at some point an adjustment was made. And I could be wrong on this. I just saw it happen a couple times where he just basically followed Chase Roberts around the field. Roberts had like a 35-yard catch in the first play of scrimmage. He had another one that was downfield for another first down on Bridges. And then it seemed like they just put Gonzalez on him. He just shut him down. He ends up with three catches for 60 yards, was a non-factor after that first half, um, that first probably the first quarter. I I don't know when else he had his receptions. But I I think Gonzalez is clearly, clearly – a really, really top tier corner. We know that going into the season, I had heard like you, you know from a couple of people, you know, there's an argument he's your best defensive player pound for pound. If you were to do some sort of team, you know, fantasy draft, you'd want to have Gonzalez among the first group of picks because he's that good. Those are the kind of things that was I was hearing. He proved it today. You know, he'd been a little quiet maybe in the first couple of games against Georgia. I know he got beat for a touchdown, got beat a couple other times on key spots, but. I thought he was tremendous. I do. I am now concerned about the other corner spot. I don't think Triquez has played very well. Jaleel Florence uh, played a lot in the second half. 
gave up at least one tough play where he didn't play very good coverage. Um, they, I thought Dante Manning was actually solid when he was out there, but they're clearly working through who the second guy is because they rotated yep. quite a bit in the second half between Florence and, and Manning. I don't think Bridges played a whole lot after half. No, he, he didn't. Um, yeah, and – Go ahead. I mean, I, you, I'll, I'll pass the torch to you because that was kind of where I was going to leave it. Yeah, I think that's that's the main concern too. Um, you know, Bridges didn't play a lot in that second half, and we didn't ask after the game if it was due to injury. I don't think it was. I think he came on at points. Uh, he was on the sideline. He was you know rotating around with the other defensive players. Um, I think that is a significant concern because Eric, like we were talking when we were leaving the stadium, hypothetically, if BYU had Puka Nakua and uh, Gunner Romney. You know, Christian Gonzalez is there to lock one of those guys down, but those one of those two are talented enough to you know really break free. And we saw that with Chase Roberts against Bridges for for the first half, and you know his ability to be shut down by Gonzalez is really nice to have for Oregon. But again, you'd prefer to have another guy, and you know that guy could have been DJ James, or it could still be somebody that's on the roster who needs to, who can, and needs to, and will step up. Um, pass rushing. Again, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt because BYU, they tried to attack on the perimeter just like everybody else Oregon has played this year. Um, that, that's that been the the model, and Oregon has gotten significantly better against Eastern Washington, and then they were a lot better today. Um, I think their tackling still has room for improvement, obviously, but a lot of those you know yards after catch that happened, they, a lot of that was with the second and third team defense in. I, I think the first team defense did an excellent job of swarming ta- swarming tackles, um, getting multiple players on the ball. Um, really, uh, Bennett Williams had a great game in that retrospect and attacking whoever had the ball. Um, he talked about it later and said that you know tackling is is going to be ultimately like, like become the identity of this defense and it's really important for them. Um, I was also looking at some of the advanced offensive statistics and. Uh, BYU was 16 of 19 on short passing. So if they were going to take a pass, that's mm-hmm. almost, you know, that's nearly half of, of Jaron Hall's attempted passes or 19 of them are short, which is five and under. Um, five of 10 downfield, which is 15 or, or fifteen or more. Um, so I, th- I think that's a pretty good barometer of how teams are attacking Oregon. It's a lot along the <laughs> perimeter. They're going to try to force them to make tackles, and Oregon did it today. And uh, that came up in a bunch of huge moments where it could be a second and eight and it's a swing pass. And then they tackle him for two yards and it's a third and six instead of tackling for six yards and it's a third and two. So, uh, yeah, defensively, I thought Oregon was was good. I thought they did absolutely enough to and, you know, stopped BYU on all these short downage spots. They had their guys step up in big moments like DJ Johnson and Brandon Dorless. the second corner position is is very worrisome. Um, and I think that's that's going to be the storyline coming out of this game. Is you know who's go- who's going to line up opposite of Christian Gonzalez come next Saturday? It's the it's the na- it's the only negative one that'll come out of it, or one of the yeah few. yeah yeah oh hundred percent. There's going to be a lot, lot of a lot, lot, of, lot of stuff to come out. Yeah, and and almost all of them are positive. Just the the second cornerback at points. Granted, Oregon only allowed 20 points, and outside of the, the the interception that deflected off of Dante Thornton's hand, that gave him a really short field. Um, I, I, yeah, I think that's that's the only negative that I I can really come away with looking as something that could be potentially you know destructive down the line. 
I thought it was interesting. No, Justin Flo. Um, we saw some, you know, Noah Sewell's placements on the field. Uh, the first three weeks of the season have been interesting. Um, and then after the game, we get a comment. And the reason I bring up those two guys is th- those are probably the two most physical players that Oregon has on, on the team. I, I think you throw in Bennett Williams, probably Dorless and, and Jamal Hill. Um, in that D- discussion DJ well. Johnson, maybe DJ. Yeah. There. Um, and Lanning brings up the fact that he's been asked a couple times, what does he want this identity? Jared talked a little bit about it on the site uh, and his story, but he's asked like, what's the identity? And he never really gives like a schematic answer, but it's, we want basically, I'm paraphrasing. We basically want teams to be sore, hurt in not a non-injury way. Um, and they don't want to play us again when they come off the football field. And Bennett said that that's what happened today. Terrence Ferguson said that's what happened today. And I, I don't know what it was, but I just really loved that answer. And it goes back to kind of what I said about Mario Cristobal and the offense. Like we're seeing kind of, I think, the vision that Mario Cristobal had but couldn't execute being executed and being deployed in the right ways because there were some hard hits by the defense. Yeah. There were some really good, they've gotten night and day better at tackling. Um, I think we've heard the last two weeks practice has been hard after Georgia. And it just feels like this team Bennett talked about it. They're starting to buy into the philosophy, the scheme, the game plan, the pillars that this program has. And they're forming this identity of just, physical football. And I understand BYU had a real physical game last week against Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very clear. Oregon, Oregon's physicality could not be matched by, by BYU on, on either side of the football. And I think, and I think that maybe is one of the most impressive things to come out of this game, just considering what we thought going in. So I, I was sick last week. So I want you guys to confirm, I guess that we have the lead up to you. So I want you guys to confirm this. Did they go, fully padded on the Tuesday, Wednesdays we watched that week? Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's So that's been – I don't know. I, obviously, we're not watching Monday. We're not watching Thursday. We're not watching Friday. But Tuesday, Wednesday, they were fully padded. That means they're really getting after it. And I put that to say that because I think the lead-up before Georgia, I think they were padded in, in one, but might not have been either of the days. It might have been spider both days. Now, so I know to- the answer to both to both of these. Go ahead. Uh, they, went, they went light almost every day leading up to Georgia – and then after Georgia, they have gone almost padded exclusively. Okay. Yeah. Every and practice. That, that was the point I was going to try to draw was that I think the tackling thing, Matt, is such a good point. They've changed what they're doing from a week-to-week perspective in terms of how they're practicing. And, you know, there are potential drawbacks of that. Oregon's had some pretty – and we'll get to it in a moment, some of the, ding, the dings. Because there's some guys who are pretty key who aren't able to play right now. And some of them didn't seem to be injured in the game. Right. So in games. So like there's there, there obviously these physical practices, they have some drawbacks, which is you might have a little higher percentage of, of guys getting injured or a little probability, I should say. The the positive is these guys look so you're right. They look so much better in terms of finishing plays and tackling plays. And I, I think it's been really one of the more impressive things is it, it was just pretty dang embarrassing at times against Georgia. Some of the yeah. misses. 
I can't think of a lot of misses the last two games with the top unit. The backup guys get out there. Your expectations are a little different, especially because both Eastern and BYU primarily played their first-team offenses the whole way just because the game was lopsided. You want to get some momentum, as Matt said, to create some window dressing, finish the game feeling a little good about yourself. I just thought the top guys, when they were out there, they both almost exclusively made the plays that they needed to play. Jaron Hall had a couple decent plays scrambling. But yep. I don't think I think when he was in the open field and Oregon had a shot at him, they finished it. They took him down. They made it difficult for him. They made yeah. it. They made it. They made it not fun to try to run the football. I think he kind of scared. You know, shied away a little bit from that over the time. Um, so I'm in total agreement there. And then just the other thing I wanted to kind of bring up before we jump into injuries was, um, I did ask Marcus Harper, you know, do you have a name for this jumbo package? And he said he doesn't, but and he kind of thought for a second. But he said, if I were to call it something, I'd call it the big boy package. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that'll stick. I don't know. We'll see. I wish it's we better. had talked. I wish we talked to Kenny Dillingham. Maybe we'll ask Dan about it on Monday. But I, I, I just really like, as we've talked about a couple times, what that provides the offense, which is we're just going to get massive on the field. We're going to use a tight end as a fullback. We're going to use two more tight ends. We're going to use an offensive tackle as a tight end. And we're just going to come out there and smash you. And Josh Connerly was pretty crucial on some of those plays. You know, you've got two true freshmen in Connerly and Jordan James who are big parts of that package and I loved it. So I'm a big fan of that. I don't know, Jared, do you want to run through some injury stuff? Cause I think we're kind of wrapping up. Yeah. yeah I was just going to quickly do that. Uh, Justin Flo, as we mentioned, uh, went to practice on Wednesday, was suited up today, but didn't push the limits. Uh, same with Byron Cardwell. We saw him at practice on Wednesday. He looked, he looked fine. Um, nothing, nothing obvious about it. Uh, Steven Jones was out today. He was seen in a, boot on his left leg and uh, using a scooter to get around. Uh, Bram Walden and Michael Wooten uh, did not dress. Uh, Ryan Walk was in and out of the lineup. Uh, he started the game at right guard um, and then came out. I think it was in the second quarter he came out, yeah. went to the injury temp, didn't play uh, for at least two series, then came back in the second half, played a yep. good bit. He, uh, he also went to the locker room briefly, it looked like, right? Yeah, he did, yeah. He went briefly back to the locker room, but came back and was okay. Uh, played a good bit, actually, in the second half. I think they are just getting him reps because he didn't play all of last week. Um, Seven McGee, you know, he wasn't he wasn't out there on the field too often. He was out there on the field, um, but but didn't get into get into action too often. But it was good to see him back in general. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's another uh, major major guy that we're missing. I think, I think um, that should be about it. I was just going through the depth chart. Andrew Boyle was back on kickoffs. Andrew Boyle was back on kickoffs. He took a majority of them. Um, Alex Bales did take one, which was interesting, but I think that might be a question we could ask Dan if we run out of other stuff to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, it might be down the list. Yeah, Suave so, so and Michael Afaye say we're on the bench, as was Popo Amavai. Um, looked to be in good spirits. Um, I think that's about it for the injury issue. So, Again, like Eric was mentioning, going in, into uh, full tackle for a majority of the practice days could result in a lot of dings. But um, it seems that Oregon's doing well on the injury front, you know, knock on wood. But uh, overall, the, the just, you know, a couple guys have been out here and there. But uh, uh, players like the Duke and Jeffrey Boss were able to step up a lot for Justin Flo, which, which helps. Um, so it'll be we'll, we'll keep track of that during the week and when we're able to see practice as well. But uh, as of 
I don't think any any Oregon players were injured during the game except for Walk, who eventually came back into the game. I don't remember there. I only remember there being one injury timeout in general. So it was a very clean game in terms of an injury perspective uh, from both sides. Um, so another good thing for Oregon moving forward is that they're they continue to look healthy. We're going to wrap this up. Um, I don't know if you guys want to comment on any of this. If not, it's totally fine. But Oregon heads into Pac-12 play now. They're two and one, kind of the scenario most likely to play out, and just. The overall perspective of the league, I think, is changing this week. Washington's currently beating up on Michigan State. Um, Oregon State's going to go 3-0. Utah and San Diego State, as of this podcast, are kicking off. So there's a lot to learn there. Fresno State, too. They play USC. But Minnesota destroys Colorado. Colorado's terrible. And it gets to this point. Washington State, 38-7 over Colorado State. I know the Rams are 0-3 on the season. But this is a game that three months ago, six months ago, when Eric's doing his pregame, his preseason picks, um, we're talking about trap games. This is no longer going to be a trap game. I would think, I would hope, considering they've got a win over Wisconsin to their name, the Cougars are ranked. Um, this will be a one o'clock kickoff on Fox. The nation will be watching. Pullman will be buzzing. Um, this is going to be a huge game and Oregon's schedule was supposed to start getting lighter and it's feeling like it's getting harder and it's going to be interesting to see how Oregon kind of handles what BYU just went through huge win at home over a ranked opponent, mm-hmm. go on the road to play a team that that's below them. How does Oregon respond? This is going to be a big, big football game. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, games in Pullman are tough, though. You know, you, you look yep. back and historically, um, we didn't. I didn't make the trip in 2020. Matt, you did. That was the last one before they kind of stopped. I think we were told that not was to weird. Tra- we were told not to travel after, but that was a no fans in the stands game. I didn't go to that one. Um, the game in 2018 was a was a rude awakening for the last staff, by the way. And I kind of wonder, yes. you know, will there be some players on this team that kind of say, "Hey," because last year I kind of just remember last time. Not that they said anything overtly, but it kind of felt like the staff. Oregon had just beaten similar circumstances. Just beaten Washington, who was top ten in the country, um, at home, emotional game, really big. Everybody's feeling good about it. They go to Pullman. It just kind of felt like Oregon fans and maybe the team overlooked a little bit what that experience was going to be like. And it was like, holy cow, it's twenty four nothing like that. And Pullman was rocking, and Oregon was not very competitive in that game. And Washington ended up having a really good season. Um, I think the Cougars are tough. I think the Cougars have proven they should be ranked like Matt. I'm looking at last week in terms of votes. They got 30 votes this last week, um, which puts them approximately like 33rd, 34th or something like that in the AP poll. Um, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that they are right on that back end. Uh, talking of polls here, not to change the subject too much, guys, but just kind of curious, like polling you guys, where's, where's your Oregon be right now? Um, they just beat the number 12 team in the country. It was a 21-point game. It was could have been more. Like, you know, I know I'm kind of – changing the topics here a little bit, but it just kind of dawned on me looking at the polls there that like, what's the ceiling, Matt, do you think for Oregon this week in the polls? Like, could they get up to the top 15, 16 range or what's, what feels right for the ducks? Um, I'm counting the teams right now that have lost ahead of them. Okay. And I see, I see three. I'm trying to find another one. If there is any, there's three, three have lost. Um, 
you're going to see potentially Florida lose to South Florida. We'll see what happens there. They're up three with five minutes to go in the game. Um, Texas is struggling with UT San Antonio. I saw that. Miami. Miami's down seven to Texas A&M. I, I think like 15, 16, 17, kind of that three range feels right. Like, yeah. I don't think they're in the top 15. Yeah, I don't I think do. they get back to where they were at preseason because 49 to three still happened. Um, I I think mid teens, 15 to, to, to 17 is kind of like the spot where I think they should land because 49 to three happened, but today also happened and BYU is legit and they're going to win nine to 11 games this season for BYU. And to do what they did to make BYU look like a nobody is worth a lot of points in, in my book. They, they earned a lot of the credit lost against BYU back. Not all of it, but a good chunk of it. Like, yeah, I agree. I think, I, yeah, I think that's about it. I could see them, I don't know, maybe jump into 14, but I think 15 is about the, about the ceiling for them. But like Matt said, uh, you know, they definitely have gained a lot of respect even after the Georgia loss, mostly because – well, Georgia allowed their first touchdown of the season today, and it's week three, so that's pretty good for them. With 53 <laughs> seconds left in the fourth quarter to South Carolina, an SEC program, albeit whatever you want to take of South Carolina. Um, but Oregon did really well today. This is a BYU team that's number 12 in the country that just beat, uh, at the time, number eight, Baylor, another very good program led by Dave Aranda. Uh, so I think that they're going to get a lot of credit. I think they're, gonna, they're probably going to – again, I think the ceiling is – 14, but I think that 15 to 17 range feels more likely. Um, we'll see how the dominoes fall for the rest of the night in terms of who loses. Um, but, yeah, 14 to 17, I would say, I think is, is the final. Can I, and I just want to – let me give you a really hopeful thing to finish. Mm. This has been a really upbeat podcast, as it should be. Oregon played great today. If Oregon wins in Pullman, putting the cart before the horse, I understand that. Probably not good podcasting. Probably jinxing them. Let's say that happens, though. And let's say Washington State, like we said, sneaks into the back of the top 25. That's going to be two straight ranked wins. Yep. And let's say Oregon isn't that 14 to 18, maybe 19, kind of the, maybe a 14 to 19 range, I think. Yep. They might get kind of close to being where they started the season, which I think if you were to tell us in Atlanta on the 3rd of September, I think that's the day of the game. Yes. That Oregon, by the start of October, would be – kind of back in the same range of where they started this season. I think we'd all be like, that's absurd. There's no way. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, there's a lot of games to be played. There's actually two more this month, I think, right? Um, yeah, Stanford's – Stanford's October 1st. Stanford's October 1st. Yeah. Okay, so, first. okay. My, 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 my one more. but still, one more this month. I, I'm just saying, like, I think that would be a really impressive response to the end of this month if they can somehow get back. And I know the rankings are don't really mean a lot this time of year, but – just to yeah. change the perception from being like everyone's like this team is terrible, they're not very good. Write them off. The Pac-12's dead. To hey, by the end of the month, maybe they're maybe they are like the thirteenth or fourteenth best team or the twelfth best team, right back where they were kind of start the year. I don't know. Just something I was thinking about. Yeah, and I think if somebody were to tell us that, we would have replied, "Well, they must have blown out BYU, or else there's no other way they would have got there." So uh, are, that's exactly the performance Oregon needed. If they, if you know, looking down that idea that you have that's exactly the performance that they needed to get you know potentially back to that level after a couple of weeks but that's why you play the games 
Exactly right. It's why you play the games and why you don't give up on a season <laughs> after the first week. Um, after I mean, the first quarter. I think, yeah, I don't <laughs> think any of us were expecting this outcome the first quarter of Georgia week one. Um, and that's why you continue to play, why you continue to follow, why you continue to cover. We'll do it all on DuckTerritory.com uh, throughout the week coming up as we all head to Washington State in Pullman to catch up on that football game, that big football game. Uh, Pac-12 opener for the Oregon Ducks. But until then, uh, you've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.